This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Striker Security. Our agents have nothing to lose and will take a bullet for you. Whether you're a celebrity, investment banker, or Satan himself, Striker Security. No questions asked. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's New Year's on Pod Cemetery with... 1999's End of Days and 2017's Midnighters. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Where was the Blair Witch Project filmed? It was filmed in a town called Blair. <laughs> um, wasn't it filmed somewhere in the Pacific Northwest? Oregon somewhere? Washington? Oh, then no. It's the wrong side of the country. It was Maryland. Maryland. Burkittsville. Yep. Yep. I remember that, but I never would have in a million years pulled that to mind. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Arnold Schwarzenegger plays an ex-cop turned security professional in 1999's End of Days. What is his character's name? Jericho. Do you know his last name? No. It's Jericho Kane. Oh, well, I got Jericho because they yell it a lot. <laughs> Kevin Pollack calls him Jer a lot, giving you the impression that his name is Jerry. Nope. Which I guess Jerry could be short for Jericho. Yes. But it is not in this case. No. It's just Jer. Uh, anyway... What a terrible name for a character. Like, it's just so... Like, is this an 80s movie? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger giving these names. Uh, but we'll talk about it a little later. Arnold Schwarzenegger was not the original choice for this movie. But let's get into End of Days, Kelsey, shall we? Okay. The movie was written by Andrew W. Marlowe and directed by Peter Hyams, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gabriel Byrne, Robin Tunney, and Kevin Pollack. Udo Kier is also in this movie. Uh, we saw him last on this show in Suspiria. Who was he in Suspiria? He was that doctor that she goes to. Oh. And if I remember correctly, I think he's speaking in German. Or there's something about the language he speaks in that movie. I'll have to go back and listen to that episode again. The original director signed on was a man named Marcus Nispel. He directed Friday the 13th, the remake. Uh, he also directed music videos for Spiderwebs and CNC Music Factories, things that make you go, hmm, as well as many, many other things. A lot of music videos. Uh, he was ultimately separated from the project. Apparently, the official story is that he was separated from the project over budget and script reasons. Okay. But it was also around the time where he was just mercilessly dragged through the mud in the press because a list of his demands was leaked. Oh. 
and they are pretty great. What are they? Uh, no, they're okay. So there's tons of them. Okay, but just a few choice ones. Uh huh. Marcus doesn't do client dinners. Explain that he has a superstition. <laughs> For a big star, a pretty PA of their preferred sex should always be there to keep tabs on talent. What? Nobody, all caps, nobody talks to Marcus without having read the concept and his pertinent procedure form. What? Yep. Assistant or driver should be waiting with engine running when rap is called. Wow. Talent should be kept in visible distance from Marcus. They should be asked to remain quiet and not talk to Marcus unless he needs to talk to them. And what is this guy directed before? I basically the things that I told you. <laughs> no, I know. Like I don't remember. It was the music videos. What was the famous movie? Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the remake. Oh, I think it comes from his prominence in the music video industry. My hope is that he realized what a jackass. He yeah, is. right. Oh, here, here's here's what. It's just, this is in variety at the time. One of his supporters said he his sets are rigidly organized and he wrote this two years ago strictly for the commercial arena, not necessarily a film set. <laughs> but keep in mind, Arnold Schwarzenegger was paid twenty five million dollars to be in this movie. OK, because this is still around the time where there's a story about how he was having trouble getting insured after having heart surgery. But. He was still making a fuck ton of money. He was one of the most highly paid actors in the industry. And then this leaked about his new director saying talent shouldn't talk to him unless he needs to talk to them. Right. (laughs) It's just really funny. I I just wanted to go off on that tangent there because it's it's an interesting little tidbit of the story. Not the guy who ended up actually directing, just the guy they originally signed. He was replaced by Peter Hyams. Now. What is End of Days about? Apparently, a thousand years had to pass before the devil could get his chance to marry and have a baby the night of a thousand years later at the, the millennium, 2000. Uh, he's supposed to, he has like three hours that he can have a baby and, or, you know, conceive one. I think it's just one, isn't it? The one hour before midnight, like Maybe it's, it's eleven one. to twelve or something. I, I don't know, but yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger gets involved, and it's not going to happen if he's involved. He's going to stop the devil from consummating. <laughs> Consummating—that's great. All right, the movie is free on Peacock. If you're fine with ads, you can rent it for four dollars on most platforms. It's $10 on Amazon, Google, YouTube, and Fandango to buy. It goes up from there on other services. Should people watch End of Days? Look, it's not like it's like a terrible movie, but there's no reason to watch there it. It really isn't. It's a weird combination of action and horror dealing with the church, and it just doesn't mesh well. And, I mean, it's fine. It's not a horrendous piece of film, but it, there's no reason to see it. I wrote down that this movie ticks so many boxes for me <laughs> on paper, but in practice, it's just, it's kind of a, it's almost like a last, last gasp kind of movie. Like it's in that era where like religious thrillers were like a big deal. 
and they were kind of all over the place back then. And it's almost like the movie's just kind of going through the motions. It doesn't have any soul, I think, is my conclusion to this movie. There is no soul to this movie. Everything is just somebody write, writes a cliche. <laughs> and again, yeah, like you say, it's not bad per se. It's just there's nothing to it. Yeah. I think is my problem with it. But we'll get into it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1999's End of Days. You have much hatred in your heart. Critics are calling End of Days more chilling than The Exorcist. Relax. Give yourself to me. More haunting than The Sixth Sense. The Dark Angel is loose from his prison. End of Days will scare the hell out of you. Now playing at theaters everywhere. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does End of Days begin? How do the End of Days begin? Well, the title card is on fire, and there's all kinds (laughs) of religious iconography. The Bible, a rosary, rings fall. We see a baby being conceived, you know, like a a fetus. Uh Uh-huh. Lots of rings falling. (laughs) And, uh... Cut to Vatican City, Rome, 1979, and a priest very nervously looks up at the at the the moon and stars and unrolls scrolls, and he realizes that the eye of God is happening now. How does he not know that 1999 to 2000 is the changeover? Like, how does he not already know that? It's not like we don't know what the stars are going to look like way far in advance. It's predictable. I have no idea. It Anyway, the Pope in this scene is Mark Margulies because he, he ends up going to the Pope. He was Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But we have seen him twice before on this show. Have we? Yeah. I was going to ask you to name just one of them. But then I was like, no, this is way too hard. I have no idea. He had small roles. And when I say small, I mean small. In Black Swan and Christmas Evil. Who's he in Black Swan? He's like a patron. Oh. Yeah. Okay. He has, Like I say, he has a very small. He might, he might. I don't even know if he has a line or not. Do you have any idea who he is in Christmas Evil? No. Okay. <laughs> I was just looking through his filmography and found that. But so, yeah, he goes and warns the Pope that the child will be born today. And one of the cardinals or whatever they are in there says uh, she must be killed. And the Pope explains that we would not be redeemed for murdering her. Oh, right. It's not Y2K yet. They just This is just the day of their of her birth. OK, that's that. That's fair. I take it back. And the Pope says that we must protect her, not harm her. We must keep her from evil. And he sends one of his priests off to find her and to protect her. Well, they're way behind. Oh, they never do. Yeah, because the devil worshippers have already got their claws on her. They already knew where she was, when she was going to be born, who she was. Mm -hmm. They were prepared. But the church wasn't for some Mm -hmm. reason. So the nurse is... The nurse from Romeo plus Juliet. Yes. Also 
the doctor is Udo Kier. They're all in on this. And when they take away the baby to be cleaned or whatever, run whatever test they do after a baby is born, they immediately rip her out of her mother's arms. They take her downstairs to some weird basement. And all the people that work there, they're devil worshippers, like perform some ritual on her with a snake. I or they also kill love... a snake over her and let the blood drip on her. Yes. I also love that it's a full-fledged baby, not an infant. Yeah, uh-huh. They always sort of fudge that. I mean, what, are you just going to hope that someone you know has a baby at that exact moment that you need to film it? And the mother names her Christine. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, it is now three nights until 2000. Y2K! Remember Y2K? They have a conversation about what's going to happen. They were afraid that all the computers would fail. Uh-huh. I remember at the time being like, what do you think the airplanes are going to fall out of the sky? No, that wasn't the concern. The concern was a legitimate one that they just didn't know what was going to happen to a lot of software uh, because of the dates. They were only represented in two digits. At that point, it was 99, and they didn't know what was going to happen when it rolled over to 2000. And so they got to work over a long period of time, basically updating all the software to, to represent years in four digits. Uh, but it was called, in New York, which is where this takes place, NY2K. It was the big effort of everyone in New York preparing for Y2K. <laughs> yes. And on this night, there's an earthquake and some fires, and then we see a monster, silvery, clear Well, it's form. like see-through, yeah. like, uh, like the Predator, but not quite. The Predator visual is a lot cooler than this. This is just obviously CG. Yeah. And it flies through the air to the designated person who's just a dude living his life. It's like a lawyer or something, if I remember right. No, Wall Street. Wall Street executive, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he takes over his body, and it's Gabriel Byrne. Have we seen him on the show before? I don't think so. But he was in Stigmata, which came out this same year. You see what I'm saying? By the religious thriller fan, like fantasy realism kind of movies. He was also in Ghost Ship a couple years later, which I really hope we get to do on the show at some point. <laughs> of course, he was in The Usual Suspects with Kevin Pollack, who was also in this movie. Yes. There will be, I think, two more references, I guess, to Usual Suspects in this movie. So he takes over his body while he's using the restroom, and he comes out, and he's, you know, he's the devil. He grabs a woman's breast and makes out with her, and then glares at people, and then explodes the the restaurant as he uh -huh. walks away. Yep. Way to be subtle and <laughs> No, it's not subtle at all. Well, it doesn't care. He's, he's the devil. What does he care? I guess. I think that's the point, is he's very, very powerful, and he does not need to be subtle. Meanwhile, Arnold is thinking about killing himself. Yep. We watched Lethal Weapon this year, and Lethal Weapon, you know, as much as I hate the guy, uh, Mel Gibson does a lot better job at this same exact concept than exact Arnold Schwarzenegger does. It is. It's the exact same scene. Except in this one, he's looking at a picture of his wife and daughter, and in Lethal Weapon, it's a, just a picture of his wife. Yes. But, like, still, it's the same scene. Yes. But he gets interrupted by his friend. Kevin Pollack. Yes. Who wakes him up in the morning for a job. 
And then he puts together a disgusting breakfast smoothie, <laughs> including it, a pizza that falls yeah, on the floor. Like it's it's silly, <laughs> but it's gross. And so, yeah, they they find out that they have to do a transport for some Wall Street guy. And it's like, why do we need to protect this guy? Little do they know they're going to be protecting the devil. Uh-huh. So we get this whole scene where they are driving him to his job, I guess. And this priest tries to kill him. Dressed up as a homeless person. Uh-huh, with like a sniper rifle or something. <laughs> and we get a ridiculously silly action scene. We get a lot of a lot of grunts from Arnold. It's great. Uh-huh. Get There's the a fuck moment. down here now! <laughs> they get a helicopter and he chases after him, hanging from a helicopter over the rooftops. It's ridiculous, but hilarious. Mwah, just mwah. <laughs> he ends up... Chasing after this guy, and he gets him cornered, and the guy tells him, you don't know what you've done. The thousand years have ended. Uh-huh. And he just repeats that over and over. Oculus day! The thousand years has ended! The dark angel is loosed from his prison! Get down on the ground and put your hands behind your head. What you've done! Get down or I'll put you down! A thousand years has ended! You don't know what you've done! And he shoots him. It's very much like the Terminator. He'll live. Uh-huh, he shoots him in the leg. And he finds out that he is a priest and he knows where he lives. Yeah, this is where we meet Cheech Pounder. That's what I like to call her, but CCH Pounder. Yes. Who is a... What kind of detective? Is she a... Sergeant or something? I don't know. I don't or know what she is. commissioner or something. Yeah, she's in the police force in New York. And she's important. Yes, and we don't find out here. We find out later that Schwarzenegger used to be a detective on I mean, the it's pretty obvious from the relationship. They have a they relationship. Show. And she lets him go, like, above and beyond. Like, she gives him a lot of leeway. When Which he makes doesn't this, make sense when you find out at the end that she's part of the cult. I don't think she is part of the cult. She's she's resurrected after she dies. No, she's on their side. She tries to kill yeah. Schwarzenegger several times before that. But that's why I think that he she's changed at some point by Satan. They don't show that. I know that you're right. They don't. Pretty but sure anyway. she's just part of the satanic cult because they do say... We're all over the place. Yeah. We've, we've, We're everywhere. Infiltrated we've infiltrated the city. Yeah, you know how those go. But part of the statement that Schwarzenegger gives, Jericho Kane, <laughs> is that he said the thousand years has ended. And she's like, you, you heard him say that? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, he doesn't have a tongue. So we'll just leave that little bit out of the report. I know what I heard. <laughs> What's his name, Kelsey? Jericho Kane? No, the priest. I don't know. Oh, Thomas Aquinas. Yes, it's Thomas Aquinas. They just straight up name him Thomas Aquinas. And he's a saint or something? Uh, he was a theological philosopher in the 13th century. Okay. So Jericho and his partner go to the priest's home, and there's religious sim symbols everywhere, and... They find one of his journals, and it talks about how I have seen the horrors to come. They find his tongue that he cut out himself. Yep. So the implication is he did that so he wouldn't be able to talk, but he does talk. Yeah, I don't so know. I'm, what? It's just supposed to be creepy. Okay. 
We get a jump scare with a cat, which is really lame. Jumping out of a fucking fridge, uh-huh. which I'm pretty sure that would kill the cat. But whatever. Being in the fridge. <laughs> yes. They find a woman's picture, which they are going to then look for that woman. Uh-huh. Can we just say who that person is right now? Yes, we can. It's Robin Tunney, who is she Christine. She has a really hideous short haircut, but Chris Oh, I disagree. It. I think she looks better in this than she looked in The Craft. We disagree. I think she looked way better in The Craft. Nah. There's no accounting for taste. The cops show up. They almost shoot at each other, but they don't. Yeah. And she's totally okay with the fact that he withheld information from her. Well, not that he withheld information, just that... How are you guys already here? How did you know to show up here? And he doesn't explain himself. Also. He's good at our jobs or whatever. When they're talking about stuff, his partner will say, maybe we should ask the girl. To which the the female cop says, what girl? Oh, yeah. One of those And moments. they try to clear, clear, like, act like it's, oh, I just met him. Yeah. But again, if you, if she's part of the cult, she'd know she what knows, they're talking yep. about. So... But sure. I think they're following him. That's my theory now. That's my new theory. That's a theory. Then we get to meet Christine. Yep. And she's walking around New York and she's being followed by this guy that we saw earlier that Chris knows. Oh, I don't know him personally. This is Victor Varnado, credited as the albino in the story. He's like a homeless man who shows up and he talks to her directly on the subway and then he shatters into pieces, but nobody sees it. Yes. But the reason I know of him is because in 2001, that December, December 2001 was the only time I've ever been to New York. And, of course, we saw an improv troupe there, and he was in this improv troupe. And so I got to see him perform on stage. He was actually pretty funny. Well, he plays a very small role in this. Yeah. It's just every time I see him in anything, I'm like, oh, that's the dude! <laughs> but, yeah, he talks about how the devil is going to fuck her, but he doesn't actually say the devil. And it freaks her out, but, of course, nobody can see it. But the weird thing about what she sees She's been told her whole life that she's basically schizophrenic. Yeah. And that she sees shit that's not really there. We, the audience, know that she's seeing this shit because she's supposed to be the devil's wife. the chosen wife. one, yeah. Uh-huh. But the problem is we know that that character is a real human being because we saw him earlier before he ever interacted with Christine. So what does that imply about this weird moment? Uh-huh. And they'll do that again later with this weird well, the, sex scene. The implication is is that the things that she's seeing, they're not just in her head. Right? Why are because they really happening? Later on, Schwarzenegger will see it as well at one point. And you're right. I don't think that they're actually happening. But to an extent, they are being projected onto her. They're not coming from inside her own head. So... Yeah, but also, like, if you see this shit all the time and somebody just shatters to pieces on the floor, can't you just go, oh, I know that's not real? Especially since she's so aware of it. Because yeah, it's after not like 20 she actually, years. She's not actually schizophrenic and she doesn't actually believe the things that she's seeing are real. Uh-huh. So if you're aware of that, yeah, exactly. But she Why still screams. You? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Anyway, it's really bad CG. Everything that's CG in this movie CG. is really, really bad. So, Schwarzenegger is forced to actually look up the Bible, (laughs) and he finds things in the Bible, and then he looks at a music box 
which is not stored properly at all and would totally be broken. It's like his daughter's music box. It's this really fancy. Kelsey has a fragile music box that's similar to that. That's broken because it wasn't stored properly. Like it's, people just don't understand. But anyway, (laughs) it makes him cry because it reminds him of his daughter. Anyway, we find out that Christine is living with her, with the nurse lady Because apparently what happened is, mysteriously, her mother died. So then the nurse married the father, and then then mysteriously the father died. died. And so now the nurse is taking care of Christine her whole life and is like her mother. And she gives her a great life. Yeah. uh She gives her everything she could want because she thinks that that'll make the devil happy. Yeah. Little does she know that the devil doesn't give a shit about you. Uh Uh-huh. Because if the devil does exist, why would he? Uh Uh-huh. Anyway. Results. That's all he's interested in. Yes. But so they keep her on Xanax. We find out that she's still in touch with that same doctor who's been telling her her whole life that this is normal. She's fine. Schwarzenegger goes to the church where the priest worked. And he interrogates the priest there. And the other priest is like, you're talking about things you couldn't possibly understand. There's a whole other world that you are not aware of. Schwarzenegger asks him, did he tell you about the girl? And the priest lies and says no. He asks him, do you believe in God? And Schwarzenegger says, I think he says he does, but like, he doesn't care or something because they had a difference of opinion. Basically, I saw my wife and daughter alive Uh and he saw them dead. Yeah. Do you believe in God? Maybe once, but not anymore. What happened? With a difference of opinion. I thought that my wife and daughter should live, and he felt otherwise. I guess you could say we broke up because of artistic differences. He saw himself as alive, and I saw him dead. It's from Chicago. It's pretty bad, though. It's a Chicago reference. It's pretty bad. Shut up. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and the priest says to him, well, if you don't believe in God, just wait a couple days, and you will. <laughs> And Schwarzenegger's like, what does that even mean? And the priest is like, dude, how can you be- how can you beat God's adversary if you don't believe in God? Get out of here and forget what you've seen. And the acting and the writing here is really, really bad. Every time Schwarzenegger is on screen with this priest, it's like Schwarzenegger can't act. He okay, so and I don't think that Schwarzenegger is like a fantastic actor by any means, but he's normal, normally passable. But in these scenes specifically with the priest, they both are terrible, and the writing is really, really bad, and the scenes just—it's like getting through mud. So here's what I wrote. I wrote this is my next note actually. So it's probably around this time. I wrote I love Arnold Schwarzenegger to a point, but this would have been better with almost anyone else in the lead. Yeah. Unfortunately, this This is not a Schwarzenegger movie. This is a little too much heavy acting for Arnold. I mean, because it feels like Commando or a running man and the the setting of this movie isn't that. So it would have been good with almost anyone else. Tom Cruise was apparently supposed to be the first person to play this role. But he ended up, I mean, and they had a lot of money to spend. Would have been a very different movie. They spent $25 million on Arnold. They had money to spend. The budget for this movie was like over $100 million. But 
Tom Cruise ended up doing Magnolia instead. Apparently, good for him. Yeah, but she's incredible in that movie. It, almost anyone else in this role, other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was a terrible choice to to get him. Agreed. So the devil is walking around the streets, and there's just devil signs everywhere for some reason. Mm-hmm. And he goes to see that doctor Udo Kier, mm-hmm. and. Apparently, this satanic worshiper has a fucking family, a wife and a daughter yeah, uh-huh. that he, like, loves. Sure, why not? But then the devil, like, has a threesome with his daughter and his wife. But, but that's you in Christine's mind? Yeah, exactly. You don't know if it yeah. really happened because then Christine's dreaming about it. This is a moment I vividly remember from when I first watched it because, yeah, like, they there's this CG sex scene where, like, the mom and the daughter are, like, melding into each other, into one person. And it and, becomes And then it Christine. becomes Christine. And then we see Christine wake up in terror. It's very strange. Yeah. I don't know if he's really having that and, like, sending it to her. But again, like, we don't know if that means that it's really happening because what about what happened in the subway? Did that really happen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We hear over the radio that lots of random acts in the name of Satan are happening. <laughs> and he goes to the hospital where the priest is being held that Arnold shot earlier. And the the hospital orderly or it's a cop or something tries to stop him. And he's like, I know that you molest little boys. Let me in. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay. So he goes inside and... The priest is laying there and he's just like, look at this face that has haunted your dreams. You can see the future. You know what I'm going to do to you. And it ends up being that he crucified him. On the ceiling. And cut his neck open. Yeah. Which isn't the point of crucifying to like make them suffer for a long yeah. period mm-hmm. of time. Yep. Not every crucifixion ended in death either. But if you slit it their was like throat a punishment. and they're being hung upside down, wouldn't they die really fast? Yeah, you'd be letting all the blood out of their body real quick. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's supposed to be symbolic. Yes, it's definitely supposed to be symbolic. Mm -hmm. And when the devil leaves, he, like, gets run into by a dude on a skateboard that's got, like, a sweatshirt that says, Hail Satan. Yeah, or something like that. And he's like, hey, I like your shirt. or something, yeah. After the guy is like, fuck you for hitting him or whatever. Uh He's like, I like your shirt. And he's, screw you. He's like, all right. And so the dude, like, his skateboard, like, falls out into the street and he just gets hit by a bus. No, he rides his skateboard out into the middle of the street. Oh. And the devil just sends a bus to hit him. (laughs) Meanwhile, Christine, who's living the life, she's learning Italian while she's exercising in her Uh gigantic mansion of an apartment, gets attacked by these people. By these people that seem to be priests. Because they are. But we don't necessarily know exactly what's going on here because we remember the Pope saying she must be protected. And now we and and we remember the satanic ceremony in the very beginning. And now we have this ceremony that's happening. They're going to kill her with a knife into her heart or whatever. Um, And so it's like, wait, what's going on? Are these satanic priests? Are these what are they? But remember earlier, there was a priest who wanted to kill her. Yes, so we will find out that there are sort of two religious factions. One that wants to find and protect her, and one that just wants to kill her to prevent her from having Satan's child. And then the other, the first faction is like, that would make us just as evil as the devil. We can't commit evil to protect us from evil. Like, that's, that's not how it works. 
But it's all okay, guys, because Arnold shows up right at this moment to, to have a gunfight downstairs. Uh-huh. And apparently, all she had to do to get away was roll to the side. So yes. she does and gets Which away. It's so funny. Yeah. It, it's horribly choreographed. It It's terribly put together. She ends up fighting him off with a fire poker. But one of them gets away, even though Arnold tries to grab him. Arnold, find, after they leave, he's trying to console Christine, and he finds that she has the exact same music box that his daughter had. Which is the last time they'll mention a music box, by the way, so, like... Exactly, but it's supposed to, like, this... represent that he thinks of her, like, as his daughter, I uh-huh, guess. That it's not a sexual thing, that they're not gonna be hooking up anytime soon. Right, and so he's like, hey, you have the same music box as my daughter, and she's like, cool, did you go through your daughter's shit, too? <laughs> Which is one of the best lines in the movie. And then she offers him a Xanax. She's like, they they relax me. Do you want one? And he's like, no, I drink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, movie. The thing about him being an alcoholic is really thick. I think Arnold runs into like one last one and just punches him. (laughs) The guy just falls down or something. Something. The stepmother, the nurse, comes Uh home. And she's like, why is Arnold here, like, again or something? Like, he comes back and the girl, Christine, explains, you know, she's really great, but she's a little overprotective. Uh Uh-huh. And she's eating an apple, symbolism everywhere. (laughs) And when she looks down at the apple, she sees maggots, and then the maggots turn into people, and then it goes right back to being a normal apple, and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm crazy, and I see shit. And Arnold's like, nah, dog, I saw it too. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. But meanwhile, outside, his partner is hanging out, trying to watch the place. So the devil's like, cool, I got a plan. I'll pee some gasoline and light him on fire. Yeah. Which he does. So this feels like it also is a quote unquote, I'm saying reference, but it it's a similarity with usual suspects. And it's been years since I've seen usual suspects, but I have seen it maybe a dozen times or something. And I seem to remember in a flashback or I guess a theory Gabriel Byrne is Kaiser Soze, and if you know anything about Usual Suspects, you know that Gabriel Byrne thought he was Kaiser Soze until he saw the movie, which is funny. But there's a moment where there's a fire, like a trail of fire. I believe it gets started with a cigarette, which is how Gabriel Byrne here starts this fire. And I think it's put out by somebody, if not Gabriel Byrne, someone else in the cast, by peeing on it. (laughs) And so it's like those things just, it just... And it's Gabriel Byrne. So it's like, is this movie just really wanted to be the usual suspects or something? I don't know. It's a weird similarity. <laughs> Gabriel Byrne pissing on a trail of fire that was started with a cigarette. Like, and Kevin Pollock is in it. Yes. Like. I don't know. I don't know. There's another, there's still yet another usual suspects similarity that's coming up in this. Meanwhile, inside... Arnold is, like, trying to convince her to go with him or something, and the stepmom suddenly has, like, claws and scratches uh her and, you know, like, screaming at her, didn't I give you everything? And Arnold almost kills the woman, but Christine yells no, Mm -hmm. so he doesn't because, you know, as far as she knows, she's always been her mom. Yeah. But in walks the devil on fire 
And he tries to convince Christine to come with him, but she doesn't. She goes with Arnold instead. And so the devil finds the stepmom, the nurse. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you couldn't even do one simple thing. And then he slowly and painfully kills her with glass. Uh Uh-huh. She has, like, glass in her neck and he just shoves it in deeper. Yes. I think they try to shoot him a bunch. He doesn't die. Which, like, okay, then Thomas Aquinas... What were you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The devil brings back to life the the cops. Oh, because Arnold ends up shooting them. Yeah, because they're like, the girl needs to come with us or whatever. And he realizes, shit, they're the bad guys too. And he ends up shooting them yes. with guns that he has in his sleeves. So I'm sorry. He keeps two guns in his sleeves at all times. Yes. And when he puts his gun down and then he, they say, put your hands up behind your head or whatever. And he reaches his hands up. He doesn't inter... You put your, you tell the person to interlock their fingers and put their hands behind their head. He doesn't. He shoves above his head, his hands into his sleeves, and then puts that behind his head. And then pulls out two guns. Bam, 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 bam. And kills both of them. Later on, when the devil comes out, he's going to be like, you cop, I don't give a shit about you, but you. And he, like, resurrects Cheech Pounder. Yes. I wrote, no Cheech. Oh, she's been resurrected. (laughs) At some point. In between these, I also wrote the score in this movie is so fucking basic. Like it's incredibly basic. I'll play a little bit here. This is this is their chase scene music. Like it's really bad. Where does he take Christine as they're getting away? Well, before they get to there, they have a conversation where Christine says, I know it's my fault, but I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I know they're after me, but. (laughs) Yeah. I've been having nightmares about that dude for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And Arnold promises that he won't let him harm her. And she's like, dude, I'm afraid that if he gets near me, I'm not going to want you to protect me. Mm hmm. Like, I'm afraid that he'll have some sort of power over me. Which is an interesting element that I think they don't dive deep enough into. Right. They don't, yeah, explain the kind of, I mean, he's the devil, so you understand that he has power, but. I mean, at one point later, when he does get his hands on her, she doesn't really resist. Yeah. And that's the the limit of it. That's as far as they go with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So he takes her back to the church where the priest, Thomas Aquinas, used to work. And we again get more scenes between Arnold and this priest, and it's terrible again. I don't know why. I don't know if this actor and him just didn't get each other or what, but the acting is just not not working for me in these scenes. This is the scene where Father Kovac, that's the priest, says to Schwarzenegger, Satan's greatest trick was convincing man he didn't exist, which is a Baudelaire quote, which was also used in The Usual Suspects. Which is phrased a little bit differently, if I remember correctly. It's the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. Yes. Is, is what they say in The Usual Suspects. Yes. But yeah, it's the same fucking thing. It's like, how hard, how much of a hard-on did this movie have for The Usual Suspects? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. 
Satan's greatest trick was convincing man he didn't exist. It's just Gabriel Byrne and, and Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock getting together, being uh-huh. like, let's get as much stuff in as Neither we can. of them are in this scene. <laughs> so the priest explains that the devil has returned to have sex with Christine, and when they do, the gates of hell will open because the stars just happen to be aligned. And there's nothing we can do about it. We need to have faith that God will somehow protect us. And Christine says, this all feels true to me. I don't know why, but I'm willing to believe them and stay here with them. Because Arnold is like, dude, ignore them. Come with me. I can protect you. And she's like, I think that they can. You can't. And so that's the case. He leaves her with them. Yeah. So Arnold leaves and the devil tries to tempt him. In his apartment. And by the way, I also wrote down here that Gabriel Byrne is having real trouble making his accent stick. Mm. It's that sort of fake New York one that he has. And like his Gabriel Byrne, he's like Irish or something, right? Like that's coming out pretty heavily in him trying to do this fake New York accent. It's all rough. (laughs) You're on his side. He's the one who took away your family. Let me tell you something about him. He is the biggest underachiever of all time. He just did a good publicist, that's all. Something good happens, it's his will. Something bad happens, he moves in mysterious ways. You take that, that overblown press kit they call the Bible, you look for the answer in there. What did they tell you? Shit happens. <sighs> Please. He treated you like garbage, you walked away. But yes, he tries to tempt him by saying, I can bring your wife and kid back. Yeah. I can make you happy again. Why do you care about God? God didn't save your wife and kid. He doesn't care about you, mm-hmm. so why do you care about him? Do you think I'd even hurt her? I'll treat her like a queen. I can make it like it never happened, like your daughter and wife were never killed. It'll be so cool. Think of it as a new beginning, a change of management, and you'll be right there with me on the ground floor. It will be so cool. And he even makes him, like, he brings them back to life, and then he makes him watch their death. Uh-huh which was caused by somebody that he was after at the time as a cop, which is why he stopped being a cop. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so what do you want? And Arnold says, I want you to go to hell. (laughs) Is that your best Arnold Schwarzenegger impression? No. (laughs) Sounds like Dracula. (laughs) And he shoots him, and Gabriel Byrne is like, don't fuck with the coat. (laughs) Very much like, don't fuck with the babysitter. (laughs) Don't fuck. Fuck up the coat. Don't fuck with the babysitter. And so he like throws Arnold through a window and window and and, and Arnold grabs onto the sill, which is covered in glass. Uh-huh. And oh Gabriel, yeah, it's fucked up when he's like grabbing onto that. Oh man. And Gabriel's trying to get him to fall or take his hand. Take my hand and I'll give you everything you want. But Arnold's like, okay. And he's like, yeah. But Arnold grabs him and throws him over the window. He pulls himself up with his one hand on this shattered glass, reaches up, grabs him by the coat, and tosses him out the window. Yes. But again, he's the devil, and he can't be killed. So when he looks back out the window, he's gone, just like in Halloween. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a knock at the door. It's Kevin Pollock. Oh, right. Yeah. And Arnold's like, Weren't you set on fire? He's like, yeah, but I got out of it. Well, because we see him, he's getting out of the van when it blows up. So we think maybe he was like thrown from it or something. Who knows? But 
Arnold doesn't trust this, so he shoots his friend, and his friend starts bleeding. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) They get over this pretty damn quick. Well, we know why. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And because he knows it's his friend, he tells him where she is Mm -hmm. being held. It's a mistake. And they go there. Well, not at first. At first, Arnold goes by himself, and then they are attacked again by those same priests from earlier. Yeah, they show up to like, oh, we're here to to increase your ranks and protect this girl, and then they like immediately try to kill her. She recognizes one of them. Yes. And they're like, you guys! Father Kovac is like, this is evil! What are you doing? You can't prevent <laughs> evil by doing evil. Yeah. So Arnold shows up and shoots the knife out of the dude's hand and Uh, then shoots his hand just uh for fun. And he gets Christine and they run outside. But there's go they they go to get outside. But the devil shows up. There are a ton of those priests outside that want to grab her. And his friend shows up, Kevin Pollack. And it seems like it's right on time. He's like, oh, thank God. Get in my friend's car. And then they are beating the shit out of Arnold. And I'm sorry, there's no way he'd survive this. They just baseball bat after baseball bat to okay. the head and the back. But you are skipping a lot of stuff. Gabriel Byrne does, in fact, show up and try to convince the priests to give him Christine. And Arnold Schwarzenegger and Christine are in the church at this time. They're just across on, on the wall. And Gabriel Byrne's walking down the center of the pews. And they they go to sneak out. And yes, this all happens. He puts her in Kevin Pollock's car, but then Kevin Pollock drives away. Yes. That leaving Arnold Schwarzenegger behind, and that's when he gets beaten the shit out of. Yes. Yeah. So, turns out that his friend was taking her to the devil, uh-huh. where they're having a black mass, and the devil is going to have sex with Christine, and all is going to be well for the devil. But, of course not, because Arnold shows up. Yeah. But it's like that scene in Rosemary's Baby, where, like, all the... They're not naked, but all, like... The devil worshippers are just going to watch the devil fuck some girl. (laughs) Yes. And, of course, Arnold ends up getting Christine out of there. But I don't know what happens, because the next thing I have written down is that he crucifies Arnold Schwarzenegger in the street. (laughs) Yes, he does. But he doesn't kill him. Because that makes sense. So I guess the crucifixion happens before the Black Mass. Yeah, I think that's how they leave him... After the beating, but Father Kovac comes and and gets him down, and that's how he's able to. <laughs> because the devil didn't want to just kill this guy. No, well, he says at some point that he actually likes him and doesn't want to have to kill him because he's like, oh yeah, you're a real fucking nihilist. I love this. <laughs> if you weren't opposing me right now, I would really like you. Actually, all right. So they get to, he gets to the black mass. I was reminded of the devil's reign because he's trying oh to be God, like part right. of the devil's mass. Like, yeah, he mass. sneaks in like he's one of the followers. Trying to pretend he's one of the followers. And then Cheech sees him. Yeah, gets and... seen by one of the followers yep. who tries to kill. What does he say in I don't devil's remember. reign? I kill don't the... remember. It's not Outlander, no. but it's something like that. God, remember devil's reign? Yes. Wow. But so he ends up killing Cheech Pounder. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
This and is... when he when he comes upon his friend, he's like, "What the fuck?" And well, because his, his friend... friend comes out of nowhere, like on Satan's side, and his friend's just like, "You'd be surprised what you'd be willing to agree to if you're, when you're laying there on fire." Yeah. Uh huh. And so Arnold ends up getting Christine, and he's trying to get out. And so the devil is like, "All right, Kevin Pollock, go ahead and kill your friend because I need her back." Uh huh. And Kevin Pollock is like, "All right." But then he can't. So the devil's like, fine. And just puts him back on fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how Kevin Pollock died. But for some reason, Arnold doesn't shoot him. Yeah. He just leaves like, him. Shoot your buddy, man. Kill him. Don't let him suffer on fire. Yeah, he betrayed you. But yeah, that's because Satan... <laughs> Saved his life and took him out off of being on fire. And then he refused to kill you when it came time to fulfill his end of the bargain. Shoot your friend in the head, please. Yeah. He doesn't. This is around the time where I finally wrote. I was just like, why is this also an action movie? Because all of it these is action, action scenes yeah, just, uh-huh. there's so many explosions. And then there's this whole train sequence. There and is it's a just train like, sequence. This feels very, like, just out of fucking nowhere. Like, uh-huh. They separate these two rail cars, and I'm like, why do you think that Satan can't make this jump? And it's funny, because that's exactly what happens. Satan jumps from one car to the next, only Jericho shoots him With while a he's grenade in mid-air. mid-air. Yeah, which is just wonderfully absurd and awesome and a fantastic answer. It's hysterical. To... My question of why don't you think he can jump? Oh, he thinks he can jump. That's kind of the point. Yes. Also... There's a part where the devil gets hit with the train, uh-huh. and that's really funny, too. Well, that's, yeah, that's why I'm like, why do you think he can't survive this? No, yeah, that's exactly what he wants me to do. Because he can't kill the devil, but he can fuck up his body a whole hell of a lot. And this is a moment where we get to see him. His entire chest is ripped open from the grenade, and it's like a skeleton in there. And it's like, that's that's kind of neat, actually. I like It didn't look terrible. It looked practical. And so, I don't know, it, it worked for me. But this is around the time that I wrote, I cannot believe how many times they have screamed the name Jericho in this yeah, film. Uh-huh. And the devil is just like, I don't know why you think you can kill me. I am forever. And he just leaves the broken body. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, the devil's not dead. The body's dead. Exactly. So it's 1151. He's got nine <laughs> minutes. Okay, guys. Hopefully he's a two-pump chump. Yeah, so... I don't know. They go back to the church. They go back to a church. Yeah, a church. Where a mass is happening at midnight on New Year's. And the reason all this stuff can happen is because apparently it's Y2K and Manhattan shuts the fuck down and everyone's at this thing. I was in New York. When I went to New York, I was in there for New Year's. And it's true. The place gets fucking packed. But, like, there's still other things going on. But not as far as I'm aware, like, Catholic masses. Well, remember, it was Y2K. People were afraid. I guess. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I was there the year later. No, two years later. So, Christine hides, and Arnold, like, has this come-to-Jesus moment where he realizes he can't kill him with a gun, so he, like, drops his guns, and the devil flies in. Again, he's this clear monster thing, and he destroys the church, and then he, like, turns into, like, a dragon. Yeah. (laughs) And I wrote down... It does not look real. None of this looks real. But it's a great design. But it's kind of a cool design. Yeah, uh-huh. But the 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 CG it doesn't in this last film for long. is so bad. Yeah. It's just so bad. He goes straight from being this demon to inhabiting Jericho. 
and taking Jericho as his new body. Yes, he jumps into Jericho's body. It's 11.57 now, uh-huh. three minutes to go. And now Jericho is going to kill Christine. So Christine finds Jericho and he's like, it's over, we won. And she's like, yay, let's go. But he grabs her and he's gonna, I don't know. Have sex with her, I guess. I guess, uh, but but she she says to him, don't let him win. And so he fights off the, the influence devil. of the devil inside of him. And he says, run. Uh-huh. And so she runs away and he throws himself on this destroyed statue of with like- With a real sword. Yeah, with, yeah, of like Gabriel or Michael or one of the warrior angels wielding a real sword. And yeah, throws himself on it, killing himself. And then so like Satan leaves his body. There's this really neat fire effect that I thought worked really well until we get the Satan face in the fire and like, ah, not as great. And then all the fire washes into the hole in the ground that Satan came out of. sucked into hell. Yeah, uh, sucked back into hell. So yeah, like he saved, but Jericho dies. But that's okay because we get a really cheesy moment. Where she like holds his hand and... No, where his wife and daughter show oh up. Oh my god. Yeah, and Christine sees them and so it's like... So he can die in peace. So so heavy handed. Yeah. Oh my god. But, interesting fact, this is the first movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger dies. Really? If you don't count his appearances as robots. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I guess you also have to not count Total Recall. Where yeah. He, where he, well, he dies in a dream. Yeah. Like, he doesn't actually die in that. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. His character literally dies. Yeah. So now it's uh, it's 2000. And Jericho goes into heaven, I guess. And she's going to go live her life. She's going to go live her life. Yeah. That's the end of the That's movie. the end of the movie. And no, I have nothing else to say about this movie. I wrote everything is basic after having written about the score. It's just so rote. There's absolutely no soul. It's super blah. Mm-hmm. But it's not like it's awful. That's the thing. It's just basic. There's no reason to see it. With that in mind, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I saw it. Is it an 11? It is an 11. An overblown thriller with formulaic action scenes. Yep. And poor acting. Yes. Yep. Yes. Metacritic of 33, but a cinema score of a B minus. Wow. Which means like audiences walked away with them. Eh, it was all right. Yeah. Yikes. Uh-huh. So do you think that's overrated or underrated, Kelsey? It's a little underrated. Oh, it's definitely underrated. I'm going to give it a 38. Uh, that's funny. I was going to give it a 40. No, I'm going to give it a 38. Like it's just there are parts that I liked. There are really Overall, funny parts, but of yeah. course that's not on purpose. Uh-huh. And they're, you know, it's not awful. It's not like I'm mad that I saw it. It's just it's not good. Yeah. There's nothing good, like nothing special about it. It's a bummer. Oh, well. I was really looking forward to seeing this one because I remember it from when it first came out. <laughs> I owned it on DVD. <laughs> My pet, because, you know, I was living at home still. I was a teenager, but yeah. Oh, well, that is 1999's End of Days. Before we get into our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. What is the name of the goat that played Black Phillip in The Witch? I was going to say Black Phillip. His real name in real life. No, I don't fucking know. What is it? Charlie. 
how on earth would I know that? I don't know. <laughs> I just looked up fucking horror trivia because at this point, I think I've literally asked you every question that I can. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Kelsey, uh, this is going to be a rough one. You know what? I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Can you name five New Year's horror movies we've covered on this show? Yes. Okay, give it to me. The Children. Yep. New Year's Evil. Uh-huh. New Year, New You. Mm-hmm. Bloody New Year. Okay. Can I use either of the ones from this year? No. Okay. Um. Oh, Ghost Keeper. Yes. Oh, good job on Ghost Keeper. I was originally going to ask you to name two movies that take place on New Year's Eve where the where the holiday does not feature prominently. <laughs> but I figured that was a little bit too subjective. <laughs> and, you know, where does that leave me? Right? So they're like antisocial. Nope, that's a big New Year's movie. Just going to name some other ones that you didn't name. Holidays has a New Year's segment. The Phantom Carriage. No, that's a big part of the plot is that it's New Year's. Mm-hmm. Terror Train. Also, the reason they're on the train. I can't believe I didn't think of Terror Train. Yeah. Uh, but then the other one that we didn't introduce as a New Year's movie, but Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so, eh, 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 so I figured I'd just have you name five of them. Isn't the signal New Year's as well? Might be. I didn't actually go through our list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, just, I just went through a list of New Year's horror movies and then highlighted the ones that I knew we covered. So it's not comprehensive. Cool. For instance, Bloody New Year was not on this list. And neither it was counts. New Year, New You. Bloody New Year counts. Mm-hmm. I don't care that it doesn't actually take place on New Year's because parts of it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelsey, that brings us to our next New Year's film, Midnighters from 2017, written by Alston Ramsey, directed by Julius Ramsey, starring Alex Esso, Perla Haney Jardine, Dylan McTee, and Ward Horton. Who we've seen on this show before in Annabelle. Yes, that's right. I noticed that too. I was like, isn't he the father or the husband from Annabelle? What is Midnighters about, Kelsey? This couple is on their way home from a New Year's Eve party and they hit a dude walking down the street. Which then turns into pretty much a home invasion movie okay so i don't really know how to describe it without just telling you yeah the plot. i originally classified this as a very bad things movie where bad people make bad decisions and then bad things happen right and it's just i i can't get into those kind of movies i recognize that very bad things is funny right but it's just i it ratchets up my anxiety a lot especially when there's not somebody that I like, oh, I, I I like this person, which a lot of these movies, you know the type of movie that I'm talking about, This right? movie doesn't care if you like any of these characters. No. They all suck. That's why I think it's like a Very Bad Things movie. And I call it that because of the movie Very Bad Things. And it just felt like that to me. But then, but then, there's like a turn that sort of happens where it's like, oh, no, it's not one of those movies anymore. There's actually a villain now. And now we can root for, and then it goes right back into very bad things territory. And uh, a lot of, mm, we'll get into that when we talk about whether or not you should watch the movie. The movie is available with a subscription on Hulu and DirecTV. You can rent it for $3 on Amazon, Google, YouTube, and Vudu, or $4 on iTunes. You can buy it for $10 and $13 on those same services, respectively. Should people watch Midnighters? No. No. 
No. Even if you like home invasion movies, I don't think you would like the fact that it goes back and forth with, like, is it a home invasion movie or is it a bumbling suburban family movie? Like, I yeah, don't... trying to do big crime and fucking it up. And, exactly. Yeah, like, uh-huh. I don't know what they wanted to be. I don't think they knew what they wanted to be. And, like, I, so, like, I'm saying, even if you like home invasion movies, which we don't, categorically, we do not... The closest thing you can get to is your next that I enjoyed, and even Kristen really enjoy that one. I did. It's just I don't like it as much as everyone else does. But my point is, when it devolves into, I'm going to torture you. Now I'm going to torture you. Now I'm going to torture you. I just don't. Why is that entertaining? So one of my biggest problems with this movie is... It knows what it wants to get in the movie. Like, oh, I want this scene and I want this moment. It knows it wants certain things and it doesn't care that it has to twist itself into knots or make zero sense whatsoever if it means they get to have that moment. And that just takes me out of the movie every time. It's like, oh, this doesn't make any fucking sense why this is happening this way unless you factor in that the filmmakers wanted this moment they didn't care. It didn't make sense. And that's peppered throughout the fucking movie. That's on top of, I guess this is almost an example of that. How many times while we watched this movie, did I scream at the characters on screen to turn on a motherfucking light? Yeah. The lighting in this film is ridiculous. They knew they wanted the movie to be dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. So the characters just never turn on any lights. Yeah. It's, it's real silly guys. And it's that's sort of indicative of the type of thing that I'm talking about, where it's like, no, this is a terrible decision. Oh, but you needed the movie to go in this direction. Okay. Why wouldn't you turn on a fucking light? Oh, because you needed the movie to be dark. Okay. Like, that's like everything in this movie. And it's weird because I think people kind of like this movie. Do they? Yeah. I didn't know that. Honestly, I'd prefer a movie like End of Days over a movie like this. I just am not. I just don't find it. I don't find it scary and I don't find it entertaining to watch torture. I just, it's, I don't get it. I wouldn't even call it torture porn. Well, no, because there's not enough of it. Yeah. Because the movie didn't know what it wanted to be. Uh-huh. <sighs> <sighs> anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 2017's Midnighters. <laughs> Happy New Year, Jeff. What did you do? He's gone. Go back to the house. We need some place where we can figure things out. There's nothing that we could have done. Wait, that's, that's our address. It was on its way here. Is there anything you've done that would make someone come after you? I am Detective Smith. Does your sister live with you? She's with my husband. Where did they go? I'm trying to protect us and you're screwing it up. There is a dead man in your garage. You're the one who brought him here. We have to do something about this mess. What happened? He showed up right after you left. And he knows everything about us. You can't trust Jeff. 
What did you say? It's gonna be all right. How can you be so naive? Hannah is not on our side. Right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Midnighters begin? I want to start by saying that this is not going to be a happy um, second half of a podcast because I was reading through my notes, uh-huh. getting prepared for this, and I was like, oh my god, I had forgotten how bad this movie is. How dumb it is. Mm-hmm. Just how every single thing that happens, I think you said this already, is only meant to drive the plot and mm-hmm. absolutely does not make sense with any of the parameters that they have given us. Mm-hmm. Yep. I. But it has a cool style, Kelsey, and that style is pitch black darkness. I wrote down Both in once, tone and in color. <laughs> I wrote down once, hey, it's kind of shot in a cool way because they do do some interesting sure. things with the camera. Sure. But you're absolutely right. You can't tell because it's all in the dark. There are very few action scenes that happen in this movie. And one of them in particular, you literally can't see anything that's happening. And it's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into it. So right off the bat, right out the gate, the movie starts out really stupid. Now, you don't understand it at the time because you think that if the movie starts with a girl being tied up and crying, and then it goes back in time to show you how you how it started, you think that that's going to be where we end up. Like, that's going to be the start of the final battle. Yeah. Because that's what most movies do. No, it's like halfway through the movie. A- and it's not even important part. No. I can barely remember when she's tied up by herself. Uh-huh. Like, I'm like, I don't even remember that really happening. And yet they act like that's a big part of the well, movie. Well, they just want to show you where it's going to get to. They should have shown you. There's a, there's several other things that they could have shown yes, you. Yes, there are yeah, many other uh-huh. things they could have shown us that would have gotten me like, oh, so that's where this movie is going. But uh-huh. no, not at all. So <laughs> do you want to say right now that you hate that this movie is called Midnighters? Because yes. it starts at midnight and that is the only time. That is time. the only time. That is the only time it's ever midnight or anything has to do with midnight. The instigating event that happens in this plot happens after midnight. It's not even midnight anymore. Like, they were out getting drunk at a New Year's Eve party in the very first scene of the movie. And that's why they're out on the road. Otherwise, nothing to do with midnight. Yes. They just thought it sounded cool. And that's my problem. (laughs) With this movie, they think the darkness looks cool, they think the contrast looks cool, they think the grayness looks cool, and they think that cool scenes look cool, and so they do whatever they can to force it into this package that just really can't contain any of it, skillfully at least. So yes, they're at the New Year's Eve party uh, for her bank. She works at a bank, which will become a very important plot point. Because Only kinda. I, what I mean is that they bring it up. <laughs> All, All the, the time. time. Yes, uh-huh. Constantly that she works at a bank. Mm-hmm. It is stupid. <laughs> anyway, she's like, hey, you missed the countdown. She's outside talking to her husband. He's just like, 
I don't know how you can stand working with these people. Oh, it's just like total dick move right off the bat. Yes. You hate this man. You do not like him. Yeah. And they will constantly bring up the fact that it's like, why are you with him? Uh-huh. Like, they will bring that up so much. And there's this song that's popular right now. It's an entire song about a woman getting a divorce. And about how everyone is just like, what the fuck are you doing with this person? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that song should have been played a lot throughout this film. (laughs) Talking with my lawyer, she said, where'd you find this guy? I said, young people fall in love with the wrong people sometimes. Some mistakes get made, that's all right, that's okay. You can think that you're in love when you're really just in pain. Some mistakes get made, that's all right, that's okay. In the end, it's better for me, that's the moral. Listen, let me tell you about this because this is really important and it goes to say a lot about this man's character. He used to be in Little League and and college baseball. Yes. And then and then he choked in the ninth inning of the College World Series, and that defines everything about his character. Yes. Is based on that one fact. And he is just a miserable son of a bitch who is awful all the time. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, so I I wrote this note a little bit later, but here are my first three notes. My first three notes for this movie are, turn on a fucking light, for God's sake. (laughs) Then my second note is, unlikable characters in a very bad things plot. Fun. (laughs) And then my third note is, turn on a fucking light. Those are my three notes. (laughs) First three notes. But so, like, the idea that she is married to this man, and because he fucked up in college, he just never got a job? Nope. nope. Like. <laughs> he's, he's, he can't get a job. He's renovating their new home. Which is taking him eight months, and he hasn't done it, made any progress. Right. But what. It's not like they graduated from college last year. Right. Like, what mm-hmm. has happened in the interim? Mm-hmm. Because her whole thing is, do you want to pay the mortgage? Because she's the one that's bringing all the bacon home. And I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah. Why doesn't he have a job? Why are you with a man that doesn't have a job? I don't understand. Well, because she was already married to him. It's not about get. Oh, should I get married? To Did a man they with get no married job? in college when he was in his uh, I prime? Guess. I see. This is it's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> They kiss, and he says, this is going to be our year. This is the one. She's like, you said that last year. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, <laughs> it's supposed to be, like, meaningful because of what happens. But the yeah. thing is, is that, like, even if what did, even if what happened didn't happen, there's no way this couple would last. No, no, not at they all. They would absolutely get divorced. Like, it's just... That tragedy is supposed to be profound, Kelsey. I know. You just introduced a lot of bad people doing bad things and making bad decisions and their life going to shit, and that's what a tragedy is. And, like, you got, like, the one-sentence definition of tragedy right, but, like, come on. (laughs) So they're driving home, and they're talking about her sister. So her sister is staying with them. She was at a different party, so they don't have to pick her up. She's going to get a ride home. And he says... To her, his wife, he says, I caught her going through our closet and she was really weird about it. And his wife, the sister, is just like, well, yeah, I'm fine with her going through our closet because she doesn't have any clothes right now. 
So it went in that order. It was, I, saw, I caught her going through my closet. Yeah, well, she doesn't have a lot of clothes right now. She can borrow my clothes. And he's like, no. But when I caught her, she was like really weird about it. That's the order that that went. That doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's just like they're supposed to be setting up that the sister trusts her sister, even though she probably shouldn't, whereas the husband distrusts mm-hmm. the, the sister. But in fact... Oh, later on... None of that matters, because yes. it's the exact opposite. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't understand. He tries to, like, finger her in the drive home, and, like, guilt her, like, remember when you used to be fun? Like, oh my god. You know what, Kelsey? I've seen Thinner, too. exactly what happens in Thinner? In Thinner, his wife is giving him a blowjob while he drives, and that's why he hits and hits the Romani person, and then, then he gets the curse put on him. Well, it's also, I mean, heart and souls. The reason that oh. they get in the bus accident is because oh. he's watching the dude do the exact same thing. Oh, right. God, remember Heart and Souls? It's a good movie. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it's so fucking dumb. And he doesn't see a dude in the road and he hits him. Yeah, because they're driving, okay, he, they're driving on a completely unlit forest road with no moonlight, like no nothing, just their headlights. And it's kind of swervy a little bit. I can't think of a better time to yes, be doing something. To be distracted and looking away. Yes. Like it would have been bad enough if a person just walked out in the middle of the road, but like, why exacerbate that? Like, you're a stupid idiot, and it's your fault. Yep. In a way, this is a good thing that happened to them, but then not. We'll find out later why this person was walking in the middle of the road. So they hit this guy, and, of course, the husband is like, call 911, but, of course, oh, there's no reception. There's no reception. That's what, you know, whenever we shop, whenever we go looking for a new place to live, that's the one thing we do every single time is check our reception. Because it may not seem like a big deal, but however long you live there for years or what have you, you're going to be dealing with that reception. So, like, check your reception. So when people move someplace and it's like, your home is here and there's no reception, maybe don't move there. Unless you're into that sort of thing. These people don't seem like the type, though. No. So they decide to take him with them. Because we can't just leave him here. We got to take him to the hospital. Well, okay. So, yes. They can't just leave him here. They got to take him to the hospital instead of driving somewhere where there is reception and they don't want to leave him in the middle of the road. So, they bring him into the car. Oh, my God. Yeah. She, like, grabs his leg and then his leg is broken. The only time in this film that I was like, oh, my God. But you can't really see what's going on. it's the sound. Yeah. It's the sound and it's the flop. And you see movement. Yes. It looked real. But again, (laughs) you can't really see what's going on. I don't like it. I don't like it when people's limbs don't go the right way. Totally. Totally. It's uncanny and that freaks us out. (laughs) But then she just, like, you know, reshuffles her body and then she's able to pick him up just fine for some reason. Yeah. And so they get into the car and they're driving to the hospital and he dies in the car. According to the husband. Yes. And they're like, well, I drank, you drank, we cannot have killed this person. Like, if it's it's one thing if we hit a guy who was walking in the middle of the road and we get him to the hospital and he survives. It's completely different. Now it's manslaughter and we were we could be accused of being drunk. So we got to take him back to our home. Which is so fucking, like, guys, if you've ever seen a cop show, you know that they can figure out the time of death. Yeah. It is, it is... 
bonkers. This yeah. movie is bonkers. Their plan is to sober up and then they'll take him in with all the dried blood on him. <laughs> yeah. But before they can do that, they realize, oh my God, our license plate fell off. Well, he realizes that when they get back to their house. So This is when like, I was like, turn on a fucking light. Yes. You're in your own garage. There's no reason for the lights to be off right now. Yes. They will not turn the lights on in their home. And you're just like, I don't understand, <laughs> movie. This is... This is ridiculous. They don't even, they don't even like come up with a bullshit excuse of that, like, oh, the, the electricity went out. Maybe, maybe they do. I don't like the excuse, but. They you don't know, say that. The house is under construction. And I feel like they just make that as an excuse for why things are the way they are. <laughs> so they've just been living for months without I any guess, lights. <laughs> I guess. It's, it's, no, it's dumb. Yeah. It's very, very dumb. I, I cannot wrap my mind so, around it. <laughs> But they, so he decides that he's got to go back yes. to get the license plate, but... There are cops there now. Cops are already there. So he comes home and he's like, look, we got to make up a story. We hit a deer. Does their story go any further than the fact that they hit a deer? No. No. No, it doesn't. That's all they say, and that'll come back a little later. Just, like, I don't want to commit, commit crimes, but if I did... I do a hell of a lot better job than this shit. Yes, uh-huh. But the lie doesn't even fucking matter, and we'll find out a little bit later why. So they go to bed. They I clean guess. up everything, and then they just go to bed. I guess, and they leave the body in their garage. Uh-huh. I don't, I, whatever. So the sister comes home. Mm-hmm. And I know this doesn't matter, because we're never going to see this person again, but... This dude has taken her home on his bike, and she's like, wow, that was so nice. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. And he's like, can I come inside? And she's like, god damn it. You were doing so well. Like, you were being nice, polite. You took me home. No funny stuff. And then you immediately ask if you can come inside. Like, way to go, dipshit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a real moment. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the film. No. That's a real moment. Mm-hmm. So when she comes inside, she's like asking for her for Lindsay and Jeff. But they don't hear her because apparently they're super dark, deep sleepers. Yes, uh-huh. Despite what happened to them earlier She's calling today. out for them. Yeah, they're not on edge or anything. Nothing. And she decides to go and look for them in the garage, as you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dude was apparently not dead because apparently the guy has never felt for a pulse in his entire life. Yeah. And doesn't know what it feels like to not have a pulse. I don't fucking know. But the guy's alive. And he tries to strangle her. He tries to attack Hannah, the sister. Now, at this point, you might be thinking he's trying to get at the people that yeah, hit him. Uh-huh. That's what. That's kind of what you're thinking might be happening here. And then suddenly there's a gun. Yeah. So a gun comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Not sure where it came from. Just all of a sudden, Hannah has a gun and she shoots the guy. We also can't see what exactly is happening in the struggle because, again... No one turns on a light! Yes. Now, at least this one I can kind of understand because she was just looking for them. If you're looking for someone, do you not want to see things with your eyes? Right, but I assume that she figures they were asleep, but then my question is, why did you look in the garage then? Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just because they wanted it all dark and moody, and they didn't fucking care that it didn't make any sense. Yes. Yeah, I, I kept that. This is what I finally wrote down, wrote down. Why have they not turned on the goddamn lights? <laughs> because this is when, of course, the brother and sister wake up. Uh-huh. 
So. They're like, hey, what's going on? Not turning on any lights. Yes. And so. Oh, God. This movie is so dumb, guys. Pretty much every single thing from here on out is just stupid. Oh, this is the. This is the freak out shower thing, right? Yes. Oh, God. It's such a cliche. So he's like, she's like crying because she just killed a dude, which I get. Mm-hmm. But that re- apparently requires the sister to drag her in her clothes into a shower, a shower that's on. turning the shower on. How, how fucking cliche is that? There's no reason. It does nothing. I'm so sick of seeing women crying in showers. <laughs> I... I have a friend who's told me she's done that. Uh-huh. Cried in a shower? Yes. In her clothes or? No. Okay, just taking a shower. Yes. Okay. I have never done this. Uh-huh. It is weird to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, why do you Why do you need to be in a shower to cry? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like you're just standing there alone contemplating things. Why is this in movies? And then I feel like my friend did it because it was in movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that people do when dramatic stuff is happening, right? Exactly. So she gave her Ambien to help her sleep, which won't matter later. She will be up and at him in uh-huh. a little bit. But those two Ambien matter now. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's up in just like a couple of hours. <laughs> so at this point, the sister is like, the wife is like, um, we need to call our fucking lawyer at this point. Uh-huh. And the husband, of course, brings up like, do you even realize what's going to happen to me? What about your sister? And I was like, nothing's going to happen to the sister because the dude tried to strangle her. She shot him. She had no idea what was happening. Nothing would happen to the sister. Yeah, but you'd still have to go through a whole thing. So the wife agrees to do, I don't know, get rid of the body, I guess. And... When they go in to deal with him, she says, please don't be so rough with the dead body. She says, don't be so rough with him. Uh-huh. But it's like, it's a dead body, honey. No, no, no. It's That's what it is. Go back. He says it. And she corrects him and says That's him. later, but it doesn't matter. It just seems like, just be gentle with the dead body, honey. Uh-huh. Just... Women just being all kinds of, I, I don't fucking know. The husband pockets the man's cash, which is just super gross. Mm-hmm. And this is when they discover that the gun belonged to him. So I guess the gun fell out of his pocket or oh, something. And, and, the, and they've discovered that he had one piece of paper on his possession, and that was their address. Typed out on a fucking typewriter? Yes. As if it's supposed to be that's some sort of sinister man. Yeah, uh-huh. That's how yeah, that's how you communicate with a hitman. Harder to trace. I don't fucking know. So stupid. It is it is bad, guys. This movie is really, really bad. So the cops show up because they lost their license plate, and it's really infuriating because it's just like they haven't talked about their story of the deer at all. So they both fuck it up, Mm -hmm. and then the sister fucks it up, too. Well, because the wife says, oh, we hit a doe. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why on earth would you volunteer extra information about the gender of the deer? They agree on, we're going to tell the police we hit a deer. Police say, what happened? And you say, we hit a doe. It was brown and spotted. And it didn't have much in the way of horns because it was a doe. So, uh, yes. And then when they talk to him, she doesn't say, I told the officers that we hit a doe. He <laughs> says, we hit a buck, this many points or whatever. And 
the way I thought you said you hit a ah, she's my wife. She doesn't know the first thing about deer. She knows as much about deer as I do about nail polish. Yeah. But then the sister fucks it up too. Cause the sister's like Oh, were you there when it happened or whatever? And she's like, Yeah. It was in the garage. <laughs> They're like, What? It's it's this sort of artificial intelligence where the filmmakers, the screenwriter knows more than the characters do. And he makes the ca- the characters behave in such a way that they might figure it out or they might have already figured it out. And then just, no, it's just artificial tension. Then they don't do anything about it. Yeah. Everything is fine yes. here. Nothing is going to happen with the cops. But like why a cop would react and behave that way. And then not go, oh, something bigger happened here. Mm-hmm. Like, is dumb. Because the cops don't come back into this movie until the very end when they are summoned there. So, like, fucking... And it's a good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah. <sighs> well, kind of. So, this is when the sister finally comes clean about what's happening. Yes. Her story is, and it's, I don't even remember, it might be more detailed than this, but from what I remember, her boyfriend's into crime, not sure what he does. That Ponzi scheme. Oh, right, right. She, he, they take money from old well, from people. From old people, yeah. Uh-huh. Invest it, and then don't give them the earnings. Well, they say they invest it. Yeah. And they said they keep it, and okay. then they write up fake statements, just anticipating that nobody's ever going to ask for their money because the investment's doing so well. She was under the impression that her boyfriend was killed by his partner and her boyfriend had told her, if anything ever happens to me, get the fuck out of here. And so she did. But does it make sense that her boyfriend would tell her, if anything ever happens to me, you need to get out of here? Does that make sense? No. 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 It makes zero sense with what happens here. Yes, we're going to find out more information later that's like, no, that's not. It, well, maybe she did more. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She's lying here. The sister, I mean, she lies to them later. So, uh-huh. like, we, we realize that she's an unreliable character. But the movie does absolutely nothing to give us any information beyond what she gave us. So it doesn't really matter if she's lying or not. We're never going to know the truth. This movie is very bad. So, what new piece of information do we get here? That she knows where a good chunk of cash is. There's a claim check for a bed and breakfast? Why does she even tell them? Do you know? No. Does it make they any need to, story with the plot? They need to get the plot moving. That's it. It's They force it in again. It, again, again. At this point, you're thinking you can trust the sister. You're thinking that the sister cares about her sister, and so there's a bond there that won't be broken. No! Pure and utter bullshit. So why does she even tell them about the claim slip? Yeah. The more you look at this plot, the more it falls apart. So at first, it's just going to be the husband to go and get the claim slip, which I'm like, dude, main chick, why would you trust your husband? But again, she just trusts her husband and her sister implicitly. Just you, I know that I can trust you, even though she cannot Uh trust either of them. Either of them. Oh, my God. So the husband's going to go, but the sister insists that she go. And nobody goes, hey, that's weird. Yeah, and she (laughs) threatens to tell the cops, and they're not like, uh, why are you threatening to tell the police on your sister and her husband? 
None of that. Just, okay, you threatened to tell the cops, so I guess we'll let you go. Yeah. That, that means that we can trust you more. Uh-huh. God! The more you think about the movie, the worse it gets. So, while they're gone, the husband and the sister, the dude from Annabelle shows up. Yes, to save the movie. Not really! Ward Horton. No, okay. He is, in fact, the best part about this movie, in my opinion. He's charming. He's fun, at the very least. He's the only character in this whole fucking movie that's any goddamn fun. Because at least if you're going to do something cool, like, this doesn't make any sense, but it's cool, at least make it fun cool. Don't make it miserable cool like this movie tries to do. Like, oh, great. So now not only am I miserable, but also nothing makes sense. Like, that's the problem with this movie. And a movie where nothing makes sense, like, you know, John Wick where they could just make up whatever bullshit they want to and it doesn't have to make sense, it's okay because it's fun cool. It's not the making up that bothers me. It's that they made it all up. They forced it into into this weird contortion of a plot and motivation in order for what? Just a lot of miserable bullshit that I hate? Not worth it. But Ward Horton is fun. He smiles. He's charming. He's interesting. To a point. And then they just do nothing with him. It is so obvious that he is a bad guy, but again, the wife yeah. is just this total moron who just <laughs> trusts everybody, so... My note is, I do like this quote-unquote detective guy from Annabelle, and his character can't be more obviously a bad guy, but that's refreshing. There's actually a bad guy. The less this can be like very bad things, the better. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I don't hate very bad things. I've seen it maybe three times. It's okay. But, like, it always makes me just, I gotta, I gotta prep myself for it. There's a moment where they make it extremely clear who he is before they actually tell you. Mm-hmm. She notices that the knife, her, one of her butcher knives, has been put into the dishwasher. She grabs it, and he goes, man, that dulls the blade, right? And she goes, I know, you should tell my sister that. And he goes, you should tell my ex that. Uh-huh. And you're just like, oh, oh, oh thanks, movie. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and Could it be? Yeah, like, <laughs> all right. I guess we don't have any question about who he is now. Uh-huh. He tells her this story that his dad walked out on him when he was like seven, and then his mom drank herself to death in the next couple of years. I have no idea if that's true or not. I don't know why it was even said, what it has yeah. to do with anything. But basically... He asks her for coffee so that she'll turn her back on him. But she figures that out because then she's like, where's your partner? And, like, her hands are shaking and... He asks her for creamer. Yeah, and proves that he's lying, too, because she says... He asks her, where's the body? And she goes, oh, it limped into the forest. And he he says something that she had said earlier, which means that he's lying. So, uh, so you said your husband is out? Uh, he's running an errand. Day. Must be pretty urgent. Odds and ends. Detective, where's your partner? He's running an errand. You know, odds and ends. And then he just knocks her the fuck out. Well, she swings the knife at him to get him, and then, yeah, he's much more skilled at fighting than she is. And for some reason, he's an investment scammer, but I guess he's also. Like, a gangster? Fuck yeah, dude. Okay. 
And so, yeah, he, he beats the shit out of her. And this is where he ties her up. And this is that scene that we flash forward to at the beginning of the movie. Unimportant. Yep. But anyway. She gets out almost immediately. Yes. <laughs> almost. Yes. Back at the bed and breakfast. The bed and breakfast, where this, apparently they hold on to luggage indefinitely if you have a claim check. Yes. <laughs> she insists that she goes in and gets it, which I'm just like... I guess that makes sense, because why would they give it to some random person? Why wouldn't they give it to a person they remember, I guess? Well, if you have the check, you don't rely on remembering somebody. That's true. When she brings the, a bag back in, he looks at it, and he's like, oh my god, $50,000. Oh, wait, though. Do you remember there was a car that drove up, and he's like, what's this car doing here? And then it drove off without anything happening, and then yes. she came out, and then nothing came of that? Yes. And he's just like, oh, my God, $50,000. This could change our entire lives. And the entire time, Chris and I were just like, I mean, $50,000 would be great. It's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, don't think that I wouldn't be like, holy shit. But they're treating it like it's millions of dollars. Yes, they are acting like this is just incredible. And she even says, even if that bag had a million dollars in it, it wouldn't fix anything between the two of you. And he's like, uh, did you know that my wife has me on an allowance? And I wanted to throw the TV across the room. <laughs> you don't have an income. <laughs> And she gives you money every month. Yeah, you could call that an allowance or or you could call it a fucking budget. Yes. And as a person that contributes nothing to this household, you shouldn't be complaining. Yes. It is it just infuriating. But anyway. Don't you understand, Kelsey? She's trying to emasculate him. Yes. Obviously. Obviously. Meanwhile, back at the house, the main chick wakes up. She's been tied up. He has this long conversation with her where he keeps punching her in the face and is telling her, you know, I could do this all day. You can't. Just tell me what I want to know and I'll let you fucking go. But he also brings up the fact, how on earth did you wind up with this dick shit that you're with? <laughs> dick shit? <laughs> did you say dick shit? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably wondering when her husband and sister will get home so that they can end this misery. Uh -huh. But meanwhile, they're having a long conversation because the brother, I mean, the husband is like, what if we didn't tell my wife about the money? And the sister's like, what the fuck? And he's like. You passed my test. Yes. I was just testing you to see if we could trust you. Yeah, okay, buddy. Like, you already know you cannot believe her. Why would you even risk bringing that up? Also, they make this a moment, like, where the husband is supposed to be a little bit intimidating and intense. How do they do that? Well, in the scene immediately prior to this, we get mentioned for the very first time that the husband was in the College World Series and he choked in the ninth inning. And then the very next scene, all of a sudden, he decides he's going to start chewing tobacco while he talks to her. It's like the screenwriter thought, oh, I guess he's a he's a baseball player, so he should probably chew tobacco. That'd be really cool. Well, I guess I'll put it in this scene. And never like there was never a second draft of the script where they decided to pepper it throughout because the very first scene we meet him, he's smoking a cigarette. 
And it's like, okay, well, that was an opportunity to put him chewing instead. But nope. Like, <laughs> this is me smacking myself in the head. <laughs> it's just so fucking frustrating. But so, the dude who has tied the main chick up decides to wander around their house like you do when uh-huh. you're beating somebody up. Well, he's bored. Yeah, and then she gets away because, She you know, cuts the duct tape that's around her wrists yeah, with the sharp edges of tape. cinder block. And that was genius to me, at least, I thought. I, I don't know if you ever scratched yourself or cut yourself on the sharp edge of a, of a cinder block. Those things... Fucking, or it's either the the cinder block itself or the concrete grout in between the blocks that is just super fucking sharp sometimes. And she cuts the tape off that way. I did enjoy when she knocks him out with the fire poker. She says "boo," just like because he, he said "boo." Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and that was a fun little moment. Probably the only part of the movie that I was like, "That was cool." Uh huh. So finally, her husband and her sister show up. And her husband's like, we have $50,000. Our lives are saved. And she's not excited at all. Because she's like, we need to deal with this person that is now tied up in our basement. So they go to do it. And she's also like, where the fuck were you? Like, didn't you guys mention that this place is out in the middle of nowhere and it was going to take a long time to get there? Literally, all they did was stop for him to take a piss. Like, why are they making it a deal that it took them so long? <laughs> but so, of course, immediately the husband starts punching him because he can see what the what he did to his wife. Mm-hmm. The dude doesn't mind getting punched or whatever. He makes jokes about it. And then he says, why don't you let me talk to your sister? And they talk about it like, yeah, if we want to get him to talk. Now, if you're wondering, why do they need him to talk about anything? What is it they need him to talk about? That they're so desperate. Does he have additional information that you need to know? What the movie tries to say is that, well, there might be somebody else coming after him. Because at this point, they don't know who he is. But that, guys, the fact that they don't know who he is should lead them to be like, why the fuck do you want to talk to my sister? Right. You're not supposed to know who we are. Uh But you do. So we probably shouldn't let you talk to our sister because that... You're probably her boyfriend. What I what I wrote down is what on earth do you stand to gain from having Hannah talk to the dude alone? The risks are way higher. You already know she has a prior relationship with the people that are causing this chaos. Somebody who is sent to potentially murder you. It always sucks when a movie insists something is necessary. It's absolutely necessary when it very obviously isn't. They just want the plot to go somewhere, and it sucks when they force it. Just like Jeff trying to convince Hannah to screw her own sister. He would, like, fucking, why would anybody ever think that that would be inappropriate? Like, the risk of her going, no, and I'm now going to tell my sister about it, is way too high to even risk it. I mean, that's putting aside the fact that you shouldn't fucking do that. But, you know what I mean? Like... People behave in nonsensical ways and not like in the, oh, they're in a panic situation and they don't know what to do. It's just a, no, we refuse to provide ample motivation for the ridiculous decisions that our characters make. So they let her talk to him. Yeah. This movie is completely asinine. Of course, it comes out that it's her ex. She's thinks about letting him go, but then she doesn't. Thank God she doesn't fall for his bullshit because he's like, 
your sister came after me with a butcher knife. Don't worry, we can even split it with your 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 sister and his, and her husband. Again, you're wondering. You're like, it's fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Also, you're like, didn't you send an assassin to kill her? Yeah. And his excuse is, oh, I needed to send somebody to protect you. Yes. And bullshit. <laughs> and he also, of course, says that he loves her, and it's just like. If she's this dumb, she kind of deserves what happens to her. Yeah. And immediately after that scene, the, the brother says to her, how can you be so naive? Which pisses her off. But it's like, no, how can you be that naive? Yeah. And so they go back in to torture him to get the information they want. Which, again, we still don't know what that information is. And, yeah, and so, like, she's gonna she's going to put nails through his fingers. And we're supposed to think that this is some great vengeance that we should feel good about because he punched her. And, like... Because I wrote down, why are you torturing him now? And why are you still going? Why are you three nails in and haven't asked him a single question? Exactly. It's just supposed to be vengeance? And we're supposed to feel good about this? Yeah. Again, this is the only character we've even liked even a little bit, or at least I have. It's like the movie wants me to hate it. Yeah. I wrote down somewhere around this point, if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have turned this off a long time ago. And I don't do that. I also love that when the husband is like, well, we got to kill him now. The wife is like, what do you mean? Why can't we just let him go? And I'm like, (laughs) you decided he needed to die when you started torturing him for no reason. (laughs) What are you talking about? He doesn't need to die. No sense. Uh, no sister, sense. This, so Hannah tries to tell our main character, who we haven't said her name once. Hold on. <laughs> uh, Lindsay is our main female character, her husband, Jeff, and sister, Hannah. Hannah tries to tell Lindsay that, you know, Jeff tried to convince me to not tell you about the money. And... That's also the exact moment that Lindsay notices this charm bracelet that she's been wearing this entire time. This Chekhov's charm bracelet that they brought up really early on. And I was like, oh, that's going to be important later. Sure enough, it was. It matches one of the charms matches the symbol on Smith. That's Ward Horton Smith's necklace. And she grocks at that point. Oh, this is the boyfriend. Now I can't trust my sister at all. It's like, no fucking shit. You didn't even need that to figure that out. She also finds the claim slip again, and she's like, what the fuck? Did you keep this? Yeah, as a souvenir of this wonderful time. (laughs) Yes, of this moment in my life. By the way, did you notice where it was? It was in a book. It was a bookmark in a book, which implies either that she had another copy of it, which doesn't make any sense, She thought it was a fantastic hiding place sticking out of something and not fully hidden. Or she read half a book in the time since they used the claim slip. You know, they've been home for, what, an hour or two. She's read half a book and used that as a bookmark. Like, it's it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. Why would a character put it there? No reason. Because we thought it would be cool. We needed a way for Lindsay to see the claim slip while also it being kind of hidden. Then the husband, Jeff grabs Hannah and throws her into the same room where Smith is, and they tie her up. And I'd like you all to know, audience, that the wife didn't think that meant that they were going to kill her. Yes. He's like, we got to deal with this. 
And she's like, okay. And he's like, I'm going to get pillows and the gun. And he comes back with two pillows. And she's like, why are there two pillows? <laughs> what the fuck did you think was happening? Why did he have to tie her up if he wasn't going to kill her? What are you on? Yes, it's... So she gets super pissed, well, and then but, they turn on each other. Well, but also, I love that the husband's plan was to throw her into the same room with the dude. Yeah. Like, at so that they point, can have a conversation and, and get and out. And let each other out. Yeah. But so she does. She uses the charm bracelet thing to cut off his tape, and then he just strangles Hannah to death. While Jeff and Lindsay are arguing about why are there two pillows, <laughs> and now they're chasing each other. And then I think somebody calls the cops. Lindsay calls the cops. Lindsay calls the cops because at this point she's thinking her husband is going to kill her. Yeah. Um, And we don't really know if he's going to or not because everything that comes out of his mouth is saying that I did this all for us, blah, 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 blah. But all of his actions are making it look like he's going to kill her. So I don't know if he's, if it's a last ditch effort to manipulate her to come out. I don't know. It's really bad. It is horrendous. So there's a big fight happening. Hannah's already dead. Smith kills Jeff, I think. And then Lindsay kills Smith. And then the no police show up and kill him, right? Yes. Okay. So Smith is about to kill Lindsay. Now, remember, Lindsay has called the cops. Uh Uh-huh. So the cops are coming. So we all know that that's about to happen, right? But... He, uh, she, okay, so she does stab him in the neck, which is great. Uh-huh. It's a great little moment. The two times that made me happy are the two times that she gets back at him. Uh-huh. And not including the time when she decides to torture him for no good goddamn yes. reason. But he has got the upper hand. He is about to kill her. And she hits this, like, the garage on door, the floor. Which makes him stop for some reason? Yeah, look up. Huh? The garage door opens and the cops are like right there and they got their guns. He could have killed her. Uh Uh-huh. He could have run away. He could have. He could have done anything. Just stands there waiting for this garage door to slowly open. And the cops already have their guns drawn and they blow him away. It is. They don't even go. Yeah, it's. So anyway, now he's dead and they're like, wow, lady, you're really traumatized. This must have been rough for you. She's you a know, survivor. You know, these really smart cops that knew something was fishy when they showed up the first time, very obviously knew something fishy was going on and then took no action to do anything about it. They show up and there's three dead, pe- four dead people and they're just like. Wow, what she went through must have been really tough. She's a survivor. You want to go get a sandwich? Yeah, let's go get a sandwich. Ha 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 ha. Isn't this funny, natural, personable dialogue? And they drop her off somewhere. Why you want to be dropped off way out here? As soon as they say that, you know exactly where they are. And well, whatever. She's like, I just want to get away from it all. And then they drive away. And then she walks into the bed and breakfast, gives them the baggage claim ticket, and... What does the guy say? He says something about, oh, yeah, the lady who came in here yesterday and just opened it up and left it. And she's like, oh, what? And then so she gets the bag, giant bag, opens it up, and it's full of fat stacks of cash. And then she laugh cries in bed. End of movie. I don't think she's crying. I think she's very happy. Well, it's like a end. laugh cry. It's like a relief sort of thing. We even get a last gasp right before the end of the film. Uh-huh. This movie is so terrible. Do not see it. Kelsey. Yeah. 
What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? God, I hope it's five. <laughs> you hope it's five? Uh, it's 81%. No. 63 on Metacritic. No cinema score because it's an IFC original, I think. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Out of how many reviews? 32. Adding dashes of horror to a noir premise, Midnighters is a genre-bending chiller that delights as often as it scares. Oh, no. It absolutely isn't. It 100% is not. That sounds like it's talking about a completely different movie. Yep. No, movie's a piece of shit. Yeah, like Hollywood Reporter, LA Times, New York Times, all positive reviews. Oh, this is fun. A stilted, cringe-inducing script dooms a promising, if relatively well-worn, premise in a caper that telegraphs its twists from a mile away. Yes. 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 Here's a here's a positive review. Midnighters doesn't do anything that hasn't been done before, but it executes its formula with a kind of cold-blooded focus that's consistently impressive and often downright unnerving. Absolutely not. No. Nope. No. Wrong. It's never unnerving. Like, it made me angry that it gets my anxiety up. Movies like this get my anxiety up. Sometimes it's like that, that oh man, that's incredible stuff. Like, watching a good political spy thriller like a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or something like that. Gets my anxiety up, but in a good way. I'd say middle of the road is a very bad things where it's like, it doesn't make me feel good, but I like, like I enjoy the movie. You know what I mean? And then this, it's just the worst of both worlds. <laughs> I, uh, 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 no, 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 no. But look at all these positive reviews. It's insane. RogerEbert.com, a notable genre surprise early in the year. So I thought when I was watching the credits that there'd be some great moment where we'd find out that (laughs) the writer and the director are the same person. That is not the case. They're just brothers. (laughs) I was close. I was close. I made a prediction and I was close. So Julius Ramsey, the director, uh, he's directed uh, Walking Dead episodes. He's directed episodes of The Purge. He was a White House intern in the Clinton administration, which I thought that that was interesting. But then his brother, the screenwriter, Alston Ramsey, was a communications official in the Pentagon during the Bush and Obama administrations. <laughs> like, I just thought that that was an interesting little tidbit between the two of them. Uh, yeah, so close to, close to someone writing the script that they're directing. Not quite, but I felt it there, and I knew I felt something. Anyway, what do you think the movie should have, Kelsey? Obviously, 81% is hella overrated. This is the last movie that we're reviewing in the year 2020, and it is going to be placed pretty highly, I feel, on our biggest critical differentials when we do our best and worst of. Like, just a Dark horse coming in right at the end. What do you think it should have? I will give it a 10. That's exactly what I was going to give it. I will give it a 10 because I had two moments that I enjoyed. And uh, Smith was kind of fun. Yep. 
That's that's almost exactly my thoughts on that's the movie. It. It's just so infuriating. Just as you're watching the movie, you're just like, oh my God, turn on a fucking light. Oh my God, <laughs> why would this character ever make this decision? It's just constantly that over and over and over again. For what reward? Just anxiety and disgust? Like, no, not a good movie. With a few little things. It's like, I want to see Ward Horton in more stuff. I want to see him again. So far, the only two movies I've seen him in, I both very much disliked. <laughs> so please get him in a good movie. Somebody please. Oh, that is mercifully the end of our discussion on 2017's Midnighters. And that is the last movie of the year, Kelsey. We almost did 100 movies. So there are 52 weeks in the year. The first two are dedicated to the best and worst, which will be coming out next week and the week after. But then we did miss one week this year uh, due to something that was beyond our control. So almost 100 movies this year. 98, I think, is what it ends up coming out to. But yeah, next week is the best and the worst. Do you want to give people a sneak peek at the first movies we'll actually be reviewing in the new year? We're starting with a big bang. Okay. We're going to finish out a series. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. We're going to watch Scream 3 and Scream 4. Oh, both of them. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. I'm trying to remember what I thought of both of those movies. I feel like Scream 3, I wasn't impressed. Scream 3 is bad. 4 was better than I thought it was going to be. Everybody liked 4. I didn't think it was that great. I can't remember. But well, we'll find out. We'll find out. We will find out. But that is not in two weeks. It's in three weeks. So the next two weeks are going to be our best and the worst of 2020 recaps. So please stick around for those. And then on Monday the 18th, we will have our first episode with Scream 3 and Scream 4. So we hope you come back for us then. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. We post a lot of extra stuff every episode. Don't forget to follow us in your podcatcher of choice. Also, rating and reviewing is a big help. Five-star written reviews are the biggest way you can help us there. Although sharing us with your friends is an even bigger help to us, and especially the best thing you can do is listen in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. We hope you had an amazing holiday season, and we hope you have a great new year. We hope next year is better than this one. Until then, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Oh, you think you're bad, huh? You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. A choir boy! I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Addicted to the same replays, the same dream. I can't escape. Smoldless and fangs, but picking up bones. Spirits moaning among the tombstones. 1997s. Sevens? Not true. His.
Are you kidding me? Kevin Pollock's name is Chicago. Bobby Chicago. Jericho Kane and Bobby Chicago. Christine's last name is York. What is with these character names? Doe, a deer, a, a female, female deer. deer. Fuck yeah, dude. Okay. We're not afraid to die for our cause. Good, because I'm not afraid to kill you. <laughs> Stop being such a pussy. 